Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. Lovely to see this exciting hubbub, but uh, it is time to, to make a start. And so just a time of quiet and just to remember why we're here. And welcome to you all, um, particularly if you're new um, or a visitor here. It's great to have you with us. And if you're watching online as well, um, we hope you enjoy your, your service uh, this morning. Well, this morning we're continuing with our series um, in John's Gospel, in which Jesus makes some bold claims about who he is, namely that he is God and he's one with his Father in heaven. And the book of Colossians gives us a wonderful uh, description of the supreme power and majesty of Jesus and his wonderful relationship with his Father. Just to make it a bit easier for the children to understand, I'm going to read from the CEV translation from Colossians 1.15, which says this, Christ is exactly like God, who cannot be seen. He is the firstborn Son, superior to all creation. Everything was created by him, everything in heaven and on earth, everything seen and unseen, including all forces and powers and all rulers and authorities. All things were created by God's Son, and everything was made for him. God's Son was before all else, and by him everything is held together. He is the head of his body, which is the church. He is the very beginning the first to be raised from death, so that he would be above all others. God himself was pleased to live fully in his son. And God was pleased for him to make peace by sacrificing his blood on the cross, so that all beings in heaven and on earth would be brought back to God. Let's pray as we start our time together. Father God, we praise you for Jesus, that he made us, he made this world and everything in it, and that he holds it all together. We thank you that he is fully God, and therefore his sacrifice on the cross in our place was acceptable to you and made it possible for us to live at peace with you. We thank you that he is the head of the church and we are sorry when we have not wanted him to be in charge of our lives because we prefer to do things our way or thought we know best. Forgive us, we pray. And we pray this morning that you would help us to know Jesus better, to love him and obey him better and become more like him in the way we live our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, yeah, let's, let's all pray together. Father, as uh, yeah, we come before you this morning, um, please just uh, just prepare us, Lord, prepare our hearts to uh, receive uh, what you have to say to us. Just work in us by your spirit, Lord, and um, just open our eyes to uh, um, to more of Jesus, to uh, to more of how he loves us and what he's done for us, Lord. We pray as, uh, as Saab preaches, Lord, that you would just speak through him, speak through him with uh, your words, um, not his words alone, Lord. Speak to, to us by your spirit. 
Lord, and um, just want to bring before you now uh, Gregory and Hannah, Lord, as they uh, prepare to get baptised next Sunday. Lord, we just pray for them that they have, um, yeah, it's just a great day for them, a great day for their families, and any guests who uh, are coming, Lord, any friends who are coming along, Lord, who, who don't know you, just please uh, yeah, use this opportunity uh, um, to speak to them. Um, may... Yeah, may Gregory and Hannah just be really encouraged by, um, yeah, by Lords, by people coming and hearing about you and hearing how you've changed their lives and how their lives can also be changed by you. But we also uh, just want to pray for all our young people, Lord, who are having exam results this week and uh, those who are yeah, getting ready to receive them, Lord. Just pray that um, you just calm any nerves, Lord, that they're not uh, worried or... Um, anxious about what's coming ahead. Um, but Lord, whatever happens, Lord, they know that it's your plan, that whatever they receive, Lord, whatever results they get, um, with A-levels, whatever university they get into, Lord, that, yeah, it's your plan, Lord, and may they just trust in you and your plans for them. Lord, we just want to pray for um, the... The dads and uh, toddlers group which is planning to be set up in the autumn, Lord, just pray, Lord, that um, those who are planning it, Lord, that you would uh, just give them your wisdom, Lord, give them um, good ideas of um, how to yeah, reach fathers in this community in the same way that you know, mothers are reached in baby box and toy box, Lord, and just pray for yeah, the dads in the community that um, they'll be open to coming and, um, yeah, that it won't seem like... Um, yeah, church is something which they don't really want to go to, Lord. Lord, it's, may they come and um, just not be put off and um, just be open to coming and chatting to members of the church, other guys here, other uh, normal guys here, and realize that, yeah, this church is just a place for, for men like them too. And, um, and, yeah, they need Jesus just as much as, as anyone, Lord. I just want to pray for our missionaries as well, Lord. I just want to pray for uh, our partner in, um, in Eswatini, Lord, in uh, Pastor Twala. Just pray for his church at Malangatane, Lord, that um, as they prepare to, to plant this season, that they will have a, a good season now that they have their own source of water. Thank you um, that, Lord, our, our gifts and offerings have gone to help supply that. And uh, they're able to water for their own plants. I would just yeah, pray for the whole community, Lord. Pray for them as they, they struggle with um, the, uh, the attacks of, uh, of witchcraft and sorcery, Lord, um, that are just common out there. Just pray, Lord, that they, um, yeah, they remain a, a light in that yeah, dark situation. I would just pray for Pastor Twala as he continues to, to lead the church, Lord. Pray that you will just um, just fill him with your spirit as he preaches, Lord, as he uh, as he pastors and uh, disciples uh, those in his church, Lord, and pray for his family as well as they continue to support him. And Lord, just pray for yeah, just just growth in that community, Lord, and um, yeah, community that will just come to know you, and just everyone will just be faithful to you and love you. And I just pray that yeah, you just work in. Uh, in that people there. Uh, work through Pastor Twala's ministry and the work of um, of um, yeah, all the other churches there, Lord. And 
Lord, just please continue to, yeah, just help that community grow. And Lord, as we come together now, just please, again, I ask you to speak to us and speak to us through Saab and just uh, show us more of how we can come to know you more and love you more and grow in our understanding and our love for, for you and for each other. Amen. The reading this morning is from John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. It's on page 1074 in the Blue Church Bibles. So John chapter 8, starting at 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you were a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father, and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Amen. Shaz, thanks so much for, for reading uh, for us. Um, before we come to the text, let's uh, just take a moment uh, to pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much uh, for your word. I thank you for the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And Father, pray that uh, by your spirit and through your word that this morning uh, you would uh, stir our hearts, help us uh, to see who it is that we have come to worship. Uh, fill our hearts with love. And fill our minds with your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, please do keep your Bibles open uh, as we go along. It'd be a great help to me if you're able to, uh, to follow along uh, with me. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, this morning, journeying through John's Gospel. And uh, we've been looking at Jesus as he teaches at one of the major Jewish festivals in the, in the temple courts. Uh, and as we saw last week, Jesus has been revealing more and more of uh, who he is. And not only have the people been hearing who Jesus says he is, uh, they've been responding in a progressively more and more uh, unattractive way. And we find at the end of our reading that they look to kill him. And we spent last week considering uh, what it meant uh, for Jesus to say that by knowing the truth... Uh, that by knowing Jesus, that we would be set free. Uh, we looked at last week uh, what it meant for us to be enslaved and then to see how uh, the power of the gospel uh, can move us from slavery 
to freedom. And today uh, we're going to be looking at the back end of that exchange between Jesus and the new believers. And although that exchange happened 2,000 years ago in a place 2,000 miles away from where we are at the moment, uh, it strikes at the deepest concerns and hopes uh, that people have today. It reaches into the questions of life and death. I wonder, as uh, we were uh, reading along uh, with Shaz, uh, what you made of Jesus when he said, whoever obeys my words will never see death. How can Jesus say that? Uh, before we dig into the text, let's uh, just step back for a moment uh, so that we can see what Jesus is saying. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at the fact that Jesus was speaking to people who'd heard him teach and were those who then believed in Jesus. We see that from verse 31. And from that initial belief, we move to murderous rage in verse 59. And so through this one piece of dialogue, verses 31 through 59, Jesus three times says, very truly, I tell you. That's Jesus saying, listen up, this is important. He says in verse 34, if you have your Bibles open too, look with me. He says, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Then in verse 51 he says, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my words will never see death. And finally in verse 58 he says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is first very truly I tell you statement spoken to these new believers reveals that sin enslaves and last week we looked at how we can be enslaved sometimes obviously and other times less obviously and the consequences of that enslavement and so as we come to our reading this morning I want us to look at the last of those two very truly I tell you statements and consider firstly how death shapes our lives and secondly how knowing that Jesus is the great I am is the good news that we need. And we see those two things as we look through our reading this morning. Uh, to start with, we'll find uh, that these new believers have indeed gone from being eager followers of Jesus to people who despise him. Take a look at verse 48 with me. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Uh, they've been told by Jesus that they neither belong to Abraham, nor do they belong to God. They don't know God. It's not just that they have no relationship with God, but actually they're enemies of the one true living God. They're enemies of the God that they claim to be children of. And as Jesus tells them this, they respond in venomous anger. If Jesus tells them that, not, that they are not part of the covenant family of God, then they're going to throw some of that mud back at Jesus. The new believers assert that Jesus isn't part of the true people of God. They claim that Jesus is a Samaritan. They say that Jesus belongs to a people that the Jews despised. They look down their nose at them. Uh, the Jews considered these uh, the Samaritans to be dogs and half-breeds. Uh, in effect, this is a, a really provocative and ugly racial slur to say, Jesus, you have no authority over us. 
not content with that slur, they also say that Jesus is demon-possessed, that Jesus is the one who's under control of the devil. You can feel, can't you, that the interaction between Jesus and the new believers has indeed turned very hostile. At every turn, Jesus has been pointing out the very thing that these would-be believers are relying on to be made right with God is simply proof that they are not right with God. In fact, they are like their spiritual father, the devil. Jesus says they're liars and they're murderers. But Jesus is like his father. With Jesus, there isn't death, but there's life. Take a look at verse 51 with me. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this statement, you can almost imagine, can't you, the crowd kicking off. Look at how they respond in verses 52 and 53. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now, the people who claim to be believers think that Jesus has simply crossed a line, overstepped the mark. How can Jesus say, whoever obeys or abides in or remains in or walks in or lives inside Jesus's word, how can Jesus say that they will never see death? Uh, They point to Abraham and say that he, the father of our faith, he heard the words of God and eventually he died. The prophets, the prophets heard the word of God. They spoke the word of God. They taught the word of God and they died. So these believers now ask, how can obeying Jesus's word, staying in Jesus's word, how can that mean we will never see death? What Jesus points to here is the deepest fear in the hearts of people then and now, namely death. Whether we're aware of it or not, the certainty of death has the ability to shape and control our lives. Death does that because it exposes the tension between our deep sense of significance, that that we really, really matter with the certainty of death. at, At its root, the tension lies between our own profound sense of value with the brutality and the apparent meaninglessness of life revealed in death. Ernest Becker uh, wrote uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Denial of Death, and he captures uh, this sentiment uh, well uh, when he writes this. He says, man is literally split in two. He has an awareness of his own splendid uniqueness in that he sticks out of nature with a towering majesty. And yet, he goes back into the ground a few feet in order blindly and dumbly to rot and disappear forever. Thinkers wondered why most people did not become insane in the face of the existential contradiction between a symbolic self that seems to give man infinite worth in a timeless scheme of things, and a body that is worth about 98 pence. How to reconcile these two. 
Do you, do you hear what he's saying? Uh, Becker's not a Christian, but he was a person who was prepared to think through what he believed. Speaking to a world that denies God, he says that there is a dizzying contradiction that lies at the heart of a life without God. He says that if you take God out of the picture, and if you say that it's all down to me, it's my standards, my purposes, and anything and everything that I can make of life, then the certainty of death will drain away any significance that you try to build for yourself. Because if it is just you, death will take everything from you. Without God, you'll try to live as though life has beauty, meaning, significance, and that you yourself have significance. But as Becker says, you know that you stick out of nature with towering majesty, with eternity in your heart. And then you're faced with the awful realization that you will die and rot And within a couple of generations, no one will even remember who you were. You'll disappear without a trace, like a penny dropped off the side of a boat at sea. Plop, and it's gone. Becker, he's right. Without God, humanity cannot live inside that contradiction. And try to live inside that contradiction where we see and sense that we're significant and yet robbed of everything by death. That contradiction is destabilizing. We cannot cope with it. If we're prepared to think about it, it will shake us to our very core. But, but, Jesus says that death is not the end. And we are significant which is a great hope uh, to our friends and family who don't believe and it's a great comfort to us that do but before we leave verse 51 let's just look at a couple of things that Jesus says there Uh, firstly he says whoever obeys my word whoever Jesus is talking to a group of people who are being unimaginably rude and hostile toward him Doubting who he is, pouring upon him insults, and yet this is the people that Jesus says, whoever, whoever obeys his word will not see death. The offer, the offer of life is made to anyone. The offer of life is made to anyone and everyone. Jesus doesn't say that the offer can't possibly go to those people who are currently rejecting me. Jesus doesn't say get your life together because only the good are acceptable to Jesus. No, because we can never make ourselves acceptable to God by our own efforts. The offer is for everyone and anyone, whether you think yourself good or bad, It does not matter what you've done. You may have bullied people. You may have broken people. You may have butchered people. You may have belittled people. There is nothing 
in your past that can disqualify you from receiving the gift of life from Jesus. Let me say that again clearly. There is nothing in your past that can disqualify you from receiving that gift of life from Jesus. That means that the people we think we won't invite to social events or to guest services because we think they're so far from God that they'll never want to come, they are the people that this offer of life is for. I wonder, where do we limit the people that we're prepared to share the gospel with? Where do we filter out those people who need to hear and receive this gift of life? Uh, Secondly, Jesus says that whoever obeys his word will never see death. And this can't mean, can it, that if you're a Christian, if you obey Jesus, that you will never physically experience death. Uh, We know that in the 2,000 years since Jesus' earthly ministry, in every generation, without fail, that Christians have physically died. And if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 100 years, then we can say with certainty that another generation of Christians will physically die. And that's what the would-be believers thought that Jesus was talking about. Only physical death. But throughout John's gospel, his focus is not on physical death, but about the life that comes from believing in Jesus and in trusting in him, from abiding in Jesus by obeying his word, as we read in verse 51. And John tells us, doesn't he, at the end of this gospel, that by believing in Jesus, by believing in his word, that we may have eternal life. It's a life that death cannot steal away. A life that is stronger than death. A life that is over and above death. A life that is greater than death. A life that starts as soon as you believe and carries us through physical death, through into eternity to be with Jesus forever. In short, it's a life that will never see death. That's the promise in Jesus. A life that's not corrupted by a fear of physically dying. A life where we have the courage to rightly prioritize our lives. A life that has a joy, that has a joy that not even physical death can take away. That's a life That will never see death. I I wonder, do, do you know that? Do you know that for yourself? And if you don't, don't you with all your heart want that? Don't you want that? If that's you and you're here this morning and you don't know that, please do talk to me. Talk to me on your way out. Talk to me over coffee. As Jesus explains, uh, that those who obey his word, that they'll never see death. Uh, and it's at this that his would-be followers turn into his sharpest critics. And in verse 53, take a look with me. Uh, in their utter contempt of Jesus, they ask, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? It's an incredible question, isn't it? 
Who do you think you are? Actually, it's not a question that they want an answer to, is it? Although it's phrased as a question, it's really another put down. Uh, In the Greek, it says, who are you making yourself out to be? A question that implies that Jesus is somehow making himself out to be something more than he is. He's bigging himself up. But Jesus responds in verse 54, and he says that he's not seeking his own glory. Jesus is not bigging himself up. Ironically, they just could not be further from the truth. This is the one who spoke all of creation into being. This is the one who sustains everything by the power of his word. This is the one the whole host of heaven worships. This is the one to whom all power, glory, and dominion has been given forever and forever. This is the one true king of kings. Uh, This is actually the one who surrendered all of that to confine himself in humanity, to humble himself. This is the one that Neil spoke of at the start of the service, reading from Colossians 1.15. The majesty of the one who surrendered all of that to come and live amongst us. And this is the one that these people say, who do you think you are? Why, Jesus, are you grandstanding? Who are you making yourself out to be? It's just tragically comedic. So now Jesus starts to pull back more of the veil so that the people that are questioning him can more clearly understand. And that leads to the third of our very trulys. Very truly, I tell you, in verse 56 through 58, have a look with me. They say, your father Abraham, sorry, uh, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus now answers their question. Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than Abraham? A Jewish tradition taught at the time that Abraham had been shown visions of the messianic age. And speaking into that tradition, I guess, Jesus says that, Yes, Abraham saw Jesus' day. The literal reading is that Abraham saw Jesus, uh, possibly referring to that encounter that Abraham had with the Lord that's recorded for us in Genesis 18 with the three visitors. And so now the new believers who've become Jesus' fiercest critics explode with incredulity. They simply cannot believe what Jesus has said. The man that stands before them is under 50 years of age, and he's saying that he met Abraham some 2,000 years before. How? How could that be possible? And Jesus tells them in verse 58, before Abraham was born, I am. Uh, The translators here, they've slipped in the word born. Uh, Literally, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And finally, the people who've been believers just 30 verses before pick up stones to kill him. They seek to kill Jesus because of, not because of what he says about Abraham, but because of what Jesus says about himself. 
Jesus takes the divine name for himself. Uh, Back in the book of Exodus, uh, as Moses is called by God to petition Pharaoh to set the people of Israel free, uh, Moses asks God in the burning bush, uh, who shall I say sent me? In other words, he asks God, what is your name? And God tells him that God's name is I am. And that's the name, God's name. That is the name that Jesus takes for himself. And through this block of teaching, Jesus wants everyone who follows him to be clear-eyed about just who Jesus is. Uh, the temptation can be um, so, I guess it's, it's so tempting, isn't it, that when, when people come along to church events for us to be uh, so pleased, so delighted, so glad that they've, that they've come along to, uh, to an event or an outreach uh, service, that we're keen to make Jesus as palatable as we can, to dress him in chinos and a nice blazer, to put the most tolerant words we can into his mouth so that we show them a Jesus that doesn't offend, doesn't offend or upset anyone. But that is not what Jesus does himself. Jesus speaking to would-be believers tells them that they're slaves to sin, addicted to it, And unless they turn from it, it'll kill them. Uh, Not just physically once, but for all eternity. And Jesus, speaking to us as believers, says that unless we're prepared to live in Jesus' word, to abide in it, to allow it to shape and mold all of our lives, every part of our lives, that we haven't understood that Jesus is the great I am. We failed to understand the majesty of Christ. We failed to grasp, actually, most sadly of all, we failed to grasp that the deepest longings of our heart are fully met in the Jesus that Jesus reveals himself to be. We're short-changing ourselves. What believers and non-believers need to see is the fullness of who Jesus is is nothing less will do that's what we all need we need to know that the corrupt we need to know that the corruption in our own hearts is so deep and it's so dark that there is nothing that we can do to clean that up there's nothing that we can do to get that out there's no self-help program that is going to make that right And our hearts need to know that we are significant and that life is not a farce. We need to know, as Macbeth said, we need to know that life is not a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. We want to know, we need to know that the sense of significance that we have, the fact that we hold eternity in our hearts, finds a home somewhere. That the contradiction that Ernest Becker spoke of can be resolved. And only Jesus and his offer of life, a life that doesn't see death, will meet our heart's deepest needs. Nothing else, friends, nothing else will do. And only if Jesus, if, if only if we were prepared to allow Jesus 
to be nothing short of the great I am that he says that he is. There's nothing else will satisfy our hearts. Only if Jesus is the great I am can we have a love that fills our hearts and a certainty of a love that never fails. Our hearts need to know that we are loved by the one who is above all things. And only if Jesus is that great I am can we be sure that we've had the greatest love poured into our hearts. We have the praise of the one who is truly praiseworthy ringing in our ears. The praise of the great I am. The one who rules over all things. The one who created all things and sustains all things. Our hearts need to know that that is the person who loves us. The great I am. And our hearts also need to know and have the assurance that we will never be abandoned. That we can trust the one who set his love upon us. And know that that love will never be taken away. We need to know that when we fail, when we make a mess of things, when we get things wrong, that we will not be abandoned. And it's by looking at the cross that we can know both that love and that certainty. That we will never be forgotten, abandoned or forsaken. Because on the cross, the one who had all things, the great I am, came to pay the price of our rebellion. His love for you and me is so great that he willingly came, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. And on the cross, Jesus was abandoned by his heavenly father so that you and I would never be abandoned. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At Jesus, Jesus on the cross took the abandonment that is rightly ours. Jesus laid down his majesty because he saw you and me as a treasure that he wanted to scoop up in his own arms. Friends, you are known and loved with the full weight of the love that God has for his son. Do you know that? Do you know that? Has that truth reached down into the very core of your being? Is that truth burning brightly in your hearts? Is the power of the gospel of that truth, is that the fuel for your life? You see, that's the truth we need. If we can see that God loves us like that with such majesty and at such a cost, we'll know that Jesus is the great I am and that we can trust him. And that gives us a power to live Life, a life that will never see death. The truth of that love for us will mean that we'll long to live for him. We'll long to obey. And we'll do that because our hearts have been melted. And that kills our tendency to be moralists, to obey the rules and try to twist God's arm. No, we obey because God rescued us and he loves us. And we delight in following Jesus. And it kills our desire to live without reference to God at all because our lives now have real meaning. Death isn't the end. And we have a high calling now from the King of Kings to live for him. 
So to close, let me ask you this. How does seeing Jesus as the great I am give you the most help and encouragement in your walk with the Lord? And you'll have a chance to reflect on that question uh, at the end of our service today. And as a challenge, where in our lives are we not allowing Jesus to be the great I am? Where have we tamed Jesus in our lives? Where do we fail to trust in his goodness? And what part of our lives do we hold back from the great I am? Jesus is the king above all kings who died on a cross to rescue you. He is the one you can trust. He is the one who will never, never, never fail you. Allow him to be the great I am in your life. Let's pray. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. My Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for uh, the certainty of that promise. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would help us uh, as we dwell on this truth by the power of your spirit. uh, To see the Lord Jesus as the great I am. To see his love for us. Make that real in our hearts. And see our desperate need for him. And allow our hearts to rejoice in our rescue. Help us to go out this week with a certainty and a joy in our hearts. Help us to live the big lives that you have called us to live. Help us to live those lives that will never see death. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, That brings us uh, to the end of our service uh, this morning. Uh, If the Lord has spoken to you this morning, uh, or you feel a sense of uh, uh, his presence with you, you'd like prayer, please don't leave here this morning without praying with someone. Pray with the person that you came with, or pray with uh, someone who sat uh, beside you. But uh, do pray before you go. John's gospel is, uh, is, is wonderful, and John is very clear about why he wrote his gospel. Uh, so let's just uh, read uh, the, from chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, just as a reminder of the certainty of the things that we've been taught and the reason that we have been told these things. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen.